Investor intelligence provides general information only. You should consider seeking independent advice to see how this information relates to your unique circumstances. Please refer to the terms and conditions available at investorintelligence.com.au for more. Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of Investor Intelligence, brought to you by the team at The Property Mentors. It's your weekly podcast for all things investment. So as we're coming to the end of the year, we thought we might revisit one of our most popular topics. So earlier in the year, back in Feb, actually, we made an episode titled The Ins and Outs of Rent Vesting. And given some time has passed since then, we wanted to delve into that topic just a little bit more and have a look at why rent vesting is becoming so popular, what it means, and what are some of the benefits of rent vesting over other paths that people may take, especially for first-time buyers. So So joining me today is our member experience director, Aaron Best, to discuss what the property mentors are seeing and why the property mentors are such avid advocates of rent vesting as an avenue to getting first-time buyers onto the property ladder and setting up successful property portfolios. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you for having me. So Aaron, I completely understand why this strategy doesn't initially make sense to a lot of people. Um, And that's why we're talking about it today, because there's actually a very good reason as to why it's an effective strategy. But Aaron, to start off, can you give me a really simple definition of rent vesting? Yeah, so rent vesting is simply owning an investment property um, and having it tenanted while also renting yourself. So you don't live in the house that you own, um, but you do own property elsewhere and you're renting that out yeah. is, is pretty much the crux. Cool. And the property mentors often talk about the concept of rent vesting with people quite early in their investing journey. Why is that? Well, rent vesting is a really popular way of not only getting into investment, but also getting into property in general. Mm. Um, unlike established investors and people who already own their own home, first-time buyers are often limited to their cash savings as a deposit. They don't have equity um, or anything like that that they can rely on. I recently saw an, an online news article that claimed that it can take up to 10 years to save your first deposit for your first home. God. And yeah, and it does seem like a lot on the face of it. Um, but there are a lot of factors that need to be considered when you see statistics like that. Mm. Um, young people who make up the vast majority of first-time buyers often work in capital cities. They also probably want to live in those inner city locations mm-hmm. because beyond their work, they may want to go out for dinner or enjoy nights out with friends. Um, and I know from personal experience growing up in the suburbs um, that paying for a $100 taxi at the end of the night is not exactly fun. No. Um, <laughs> and if you're going to be doing it multiple times a week, it's even worse. Not ideal, no. <laughs> no. Um, so many young people opt to live in a city. Mm. Um, they live in apartments. They they live either in the CBD or very close to within four or five kilometres. 
Um, and if you've been on realestate.com.au or domain recently, you'll see that those um, those properties in those areas are quite expensive. If you're yep. looking to buy <laughs> in that area, you're generally uh, above um, 600,000, depending on the, the city that you're in. Sometimes you're close to a million. I saw some really lovely, um, properties in sort of the Fitzroy, Collingwood, Abbotsford area mm. recently, because I'm now targeted with ads all the time, <laughs> um, that were 1.1, 1.2, and they were like single bedroom apartments. Wow. Um, they were lovely, but they were expensive. Right. And, if you're having to save 10% of a million, plus then you have tens of thousands of dollars worth of purchasing costs, even after first homeowners grants and stamp duty concessions and things like that, it's still going to take you a really long time to save that deposit. Yeah. Um, and so rent vesting as a concept um, is that just because you don't own the property that you live in um, doesn't mean you can't own a property somewhere else. Mm. Um, the reason that rent vesting is becoming so popular is that investment properties come with a lot of benefits that your your principal place of residence or PPR um, doesn't have mm. um, that can help offset the cost of purchasing that property. Okay. So on that topic, we've titled this episode, Live Where You Want, Buy Where There's Growth. What do we mean by that exactly? Well, by live where we want and buy where there's growth, we're, we're talking about, um, well, for living where you want, living in a city. Um, so the city lifestyle that rent vesters are after, um, they want to live close to their friends, their work, to the nightlife and culture of a capital city. Uh, but buying where there's growth is about making smarter decisions on your property journey. Mm. One of the fastest ways that we see people trying to build wealth, particularly early on in their journey, is to leverage equity in your existing properties. Mm. That is, so as your current property increases in value, you borrow against that increase as the deposit on your next property. That way, your first property helps you to buy your second, and they both help you to buy a third, and so on and so forth. When it comes to to leveraging the equity on your property to purchase a second or a third property, you're no longer limited by how much cash you can save from your income. Um, you, you do obviously want to continue to save money towards your next deposit, but you can utilize the, the properties that you already have to sort of bolster that effort. Mm. And... Leveraging capital growth in that way is probably one of the fastest ways to accelerate property portfolio growth. So each time you buy a property, it will take you slightly less time to reach, say, the 10% deposit because you're not only saving the money yourself, you're also getting your properties to earn that money just through the property market themselves. Mm, yeah. If you're trying to achieve the best bang for your buck, um, then you really want to find properties that are going to achieve good capital growth. Yeah. So Inner city properties will often give you really good rental income. They're great for cash flow. Yeah. Um, but because they're expensive to buy, they start off quite expensive. They don't gain as much in capital growth as potentially, say, outer suburb properties where in growth corridors yeah. where they're cheaper to buy in the first instance and then they grow faster than, say, an inner city property will. Yeah, okay. Um, they may not get to be as expensive. They probably almost definitely won't get to be as expensive as an inner city property. But in the time it takes an inner city property to go from 1 million to 1.1 million, your outer suburbs property may have gone from 500,000 to 650 or 700,000. So you're getting more of that equity each time. So Mm -hmm. that's what we mean by buy where there's growth. Mm -hmm. You may not want to live in those areas, but you can gain more from purchasing property in those areas. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you you really want great performing properties in your portfolio. Um, 
great portfolios are not filled with fancy mansions or prestigious postcodes. They, they need to be filled with workhorses, strong, reliable, stable properties that are going to continue to gain value um, over the next 5, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, they may not be the six-bedroom mansions with a pool, but <laughs> they're always rented out, they're always bringing in income, and they're gaining capital growth each year. So that's what makes a really good portfolio is making sure that you've got those sorts of properties there to to offer stability. And when it comes down to it, when we say live where you want and buy where there's growth may sound like a bit of a cop out for first time buyers that don't want to sacrifice lifestyle in exchange for for purchasing their first property. Mm-hmm. Um, because they people say, oh, well, you you have to go and live in the, the property out in the outer suburbs. And, and that's what you do for your first couple of years. But the the buy where there's growth doesn't necessarily mean that oh it's it's twenty kilometers down the road. Mm. Buy where there's growth might not be in your city. It might not even be in your state. Mm. So people who are living in Melbourne might decide to buy in Queensland or Perth because they're really good growth opportunities. Yeah, yeah. And they can achieve that equity growth that much faster and move them towards their second or third properties that much quicker. Okay, that's important to know. Um, so you did just mention first time buyers. Should people who haven't purchased before consider an investment as their first property over their PPR? Definitely. Like mm-hmm. a, an investment property is significantly different to a home you live in. So when you're going and buying your, your principal place of residence, it provides you somewhere to live, it gains equity over time, and it saves you spending money on rent. Mm. But it also does have mortgage repayments. Sure. That's pretty much the the ins and outs of owning a PPR. There's yeah. not really much else to it from a, an income stream, a, a tax perspective. That it, it's a place to live and it stops you paying rent. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to a, an investment property, it can stretch pretty far beyond that because it operates like a business. If you know anyone who's run their own business, you've probably heard of them talking about their deductions and always keeping all of their receipts and working out what they can write off when it comes to tax time with their accountant. Mm-hmm. And an investment property is the same. Because it's an asset, it has a significant number of potential deductions. And because mm-hmm. it's earning you income, you can claim them on your income tax. Mm-hmm. An investment property has mortgage repayments, just like your PPR. But as I said, because it makes income and it's generating that income for you, any cash outgoings like your property management, your maintenance, your insurance, your rates, even the interest on your home loan become tax deductible. Mm-hmm. On top of the cash deductions, the, the things that you have to pay out of your pocket, there are non-cash deductions as well, like the depreciation of the building, the fittings inside it. All of these deductions end up coming together to determine if a property is positively or negatively geared. Yep. And it can really make a huge difference to you, the bottom line of owning that property. Um when it comes down to it, an investment property pays itself off or at least part of itself off, mm-hmm. which therefore reduces the impact on your cash flow while still allowing you to gain that equity over time. And when it comes down to it, paying a mortgage and paying your rent are also not equal. Take, for example, my apartment. So the apartment that I rent, I rent here in Melbourne, mm-hmm. is probably about $1,000 less than I would have to pay if I had a mortgage on that apartment in it in today's value. Mm, And I personally would prefer to be putting that $1,000 a month towards my next property purchase than paying the interest on a mortgage for the current property. Right, yeah. And that's that's where that $1,000 would go. 
It's one thing to say, oh, but you're paying off your property. But realistically, interest makes up the major portion of a mortgage. Yeah. The principal is is only a small portion in, in comparison. And when it comes to a PPR, that, that interest isn't tax deductible, whereas an investment property it would be. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I would be paying $1,000 more a month for the privilege to say that I own my own apartment while probably slowing my progress towards my next property purchase. Mm. And if you think then, oh, well, my landlord mustn't be in a very good um, scenario based on that, you have to remember that when they purchased the property, I was talking about today's rates, they purchased the property earlier than that. And as I mentioned, deductions. Deductions can easily make up the difference of $1,000 a month when it comes to tax time. So even though they may be outlaying a little bit more money each month to make up for their their mortgage repayments, mm-hmm. when it comes to tax time, they're going to get a huge return because of the deductions that they're able to do because it's an investment property. Yeah. So one of the reasons we're having this conversation in particular for young buyers is that they should consider other options. So why is that? Well, getting on the property ladder is the the great Australian dream. And Mm -hmm. I I say that with air quotes that you won't see in a podcast. (laughs) Uh, But these days it's not as easy as it used to be. And when I say that, when I say it used to be, I'm not talking about like baby boomers and back in the the 60s and 70s. Because, for example, if you take my Gen X parents, Mm -hmm. they bought their first home in 1994. They bought a block of land for $40,000. And they built a five-bedroom home on it for $80,000. <laughs> so a total of 120000 At the time, that was a stretch for them. They were also raising four kids. Mm, Good on them. Yes, props to them. <laughs> but that's still only about two times what their income was at the time. Um, these days, properties can be six or seven or even eight times people's income, which is a huge difference mm-hmm. um, in only 30 years. Mm-hmm. Getting into the property ladder is still achievable, but it can be a lot harder than it used to be. So as the old saying goes, um, we need to start finding ways to work smarter. Yeah, yeah. Rent vesting is an example of working smarter, mm-hmm. leveraging capital growth from properties in growth areas outside of your backyard to build up equity, and then using that equity to better support your, your chosen PPR, Mm. the house you want to live in later down the track. We're not saying that you won't own the home you live in one day. We're just saying that we're going to flip the status quo on its head and we're going to see if there are smarter, not harder ways to get there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it it might be that instead of buying the house you live in first and then 10 years down the track, buying an investment property or buying two, talking about let's buy two or three investment properties in the first couple of years and then maybe consider the the PPR or maybe you decide actually I continue I want to continue renting mm. and so you might end up with 10 properties in your portfolio before you go you know I'm now going to use that equity to go and buy a, an apartment in the city that I really like that I want to live in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and that's that's working smarter not harder leveraging those tax incentives early leveraging those capital growth opportunities early so that you can set yourself up for success later down the track yeah yeah you can see why it's a very attractive option and strategy for a lot of people um but as you mentioned the key to rent vesting is purchasing where you're going to get really good capital growth which suggests you need to have a really good level of market knowledge so what should people do if they want to start investing 
through a rent vesting model? Yeah, like so it, it is really important, especially for first-time investors, to understand that there's a difference between choosing an investment property and choosing a, a place you're going to live. Um, and it comes down to, as, as we've spoken about uh, on this podcast multiple times and we talk about it, the property mentors all the time, it, it, a lot of it comes down to your emotional readiness. When you're buying a place that you want to live, um, you you think about how you or your partner or your family are going to live in that property, mm-hmm. where you're going to put your furniture, what color and style do you want the taps in the bathroom? Will you have a deck or will you have pavers out in the backyard? Will the property be enough to grow with your family or will you need to upgrade in a few years? All those things are, are things that you consider and they're all very emotional or lifestyle-based mm-hmm. things. Yeah, You don't need to consider that as much for an investment property at least not really for yourself, because you need to take a step back and look at the property as a product for an audience. Mm-hmm. It's it, Is it suitable for the type of families that are going to live in the area that you're buying? Yep. Do the style of the fittings and property have a broad appeal to a lot of people? I, I'm sure you've inspected investment property or rental properties before where yep. you're like, who chose those tiles? Yeah, yep. A few <laughs> and, questionable features. Yep. <laughs> and and those are all sorts of things that you need to consider with an investment property. You want it to appeal to the widest possible audience. So yep. you've got the, the best choice for potential renters. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you also need to consider things like vacancy rates in the area. What kind of infrastructure is going in now? What kind of infrastructure is going to be in in the future? Mm-hmm. How is that going to affect where your property is located? And, and there's a lot to consider when it comes to an investment property. Uh, it's really difficult for a lot of people to take their personal feelings out of that equation. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've, we've worked with a lot of members who go, oh, well, I, I don't personally want to ever live in a townhouse or an apartment, yeah, so yeah. I don't want to buy a townhouse or an mm-hmm, apartment. Mm-hmm. But the area that they're buying in, an apartment is the most popular type of property, yeah, yeah. and that's where High everyone demand. wants to live. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not going to find a big house in, in South Bank no. in, in <laughs> Melbourne, but you're going to find a lot of apartments and they're going to be filled. Yes. When it comes down to those sorts of things, Having the right team behind you is really important because they can help you with a lot of those sorts of decisions. A really good property manager can let you know what's going to happen in the area, what they've seen as far as demographic goes, and they'll also be able to recommend suitable and not so suitable upgrades that you should consider. Um, We've obviously had Renee on this podcast a number of times, Mm -hmm. and one of her most common uh, common conversations that she's having with new rental providers is you're building a three-story townhouse, make sure there's air conditioning in the top levels because it will get really warm. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that no one really considers, but when it comes down to renting that property, the potential renters walk into the house and they're like, this is really warm. Why isn't there an air conditioner mm, in my master mm-hmm. bedroom? Yeah. So Renee is able to tell people who are buying those sorts of properties, these are the things that you should be considering when it comes time to to build or to buy the the right property. On top of that, you can also have a, a property mentor who will have a methodical approach to the area that you're buying and to the property that you're buying to ensure that your foray into rent vesting is successful mm-hmm. and, and you'll actually be set up for success, that you won't buy the wrong property, you won't buy in the wrong area. 
and and you the the idea that you'll get that big capital growth while still enjoying the lifestyle that you want to live mm-hmm. actually comes to fruition. Yeah. So they'll most certainly guide you in that sense. You won't be out there by yourself just guessing which areas are going to have the most growth. Yeah. There's an entire industry of 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 property market news. And do you listen to Channel 9? Do you listen to Channel 7? Do you mm. listen to Domain or do you listen to realestate.com.au? Yeah. And unless you're going to be spending your entire life looking at all that information, it's going to overwhelm you. And if you've got work and family and everything else that you need to also take into consideration, mm. it can be really beneficial to have to, to offload that sort of work to other people and go, okay, I need you to go find me a property that is suitable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's definitely a more in-depth episode than our last one, but I think that was that's going to be really helpful to a lot of people because I know a lot of people want to know about renvesting. Um, Aaron, anything else you want to add today? No, I, I think I, I'm really passionate about rent vesting. Mm. I, I'm, I'm literally that, that example of I, I know where I can purchase and I know where I can afford to purchase and mm. I know where I'm going to get the most bang for my buck. Mm. But I also still love living on Chapel Street. Yes, that's <laughs> right. You're willing to pay for that lifestyle a little bit more. 100%. <laughs> Thank you for your time today. Thank you. If you found this episode or any of our episodes helpful, please make sure to share and leave a rating to help us reach more people on their investing journeys. And of course, subscribe to be notified when new episodes drop. Make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Investor Intelligence Podcast. You can find links to our other socials in the show notes, including a link to the Property Mentors weekly blog. If you're ready to get your property portfolio in shape for financial freedom, check out Luke's latest book, Property Fit. You can get yourself a copy at www.propertyfitbook.com.au.